one, or three, two, one. That was better. Yeah, cool. Okay, thanks. Okay. I might have clapped a little fast there, but... It's okay. <laughs> but if you notice at the end of the movie, uh, he counts up in that dramatic thing where he's got his hand in his pocket. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the squirt gun. Yeah. And the guy's like, come on, Robert Duvall's like, what are you doing? Come on, guy. Uh, I can't do Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall is such a difficult accent to do. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like he'd be so easy, but it's not. You end up talking like a lot of other angry guys. (laughs) See, he's a Turk, which means he's good with a knife. (laughs) I never understood that line from The Godfather. (laughs) You got to put your headphones on, don't you? Oh, you've got them on. This yeah. guy, he's a Turk, which means he's good with a knife. Yeah. My favorite bit of The Godfather, and when the guy's like, listen, you Dago Wop Guinea, you tell your boss, <laughs> blah, 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 and he says, I'm German-Irish. He goes, well, my Kraut McFriend. Kraut McFriend. Yeah. <laughs> well, my Kraut McFriend. You tell him, he'll never work in this town. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Sleepy horse, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, my Mick Kraut friend. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm actor Michael Douglas, and I've got one question for you. Are we, are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> are we the happen? baddies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actor Michael Douglas, put your ass in the chair. <laughs> Tell me how did how did we become the baddies? How did we become the baddie? <laughs> I've been waiting since the end of the movie for him to pull that one out. <laughs> as soon as he said that, I was like, oh. Are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, uh, we're here talking about the film Falling Down, which stars Michael Douglas and Robert Duvall. It came out in 1993, but it was uh, filmed in 1992 on, loca- on location in Los Angeles and. Um, um, amid the riots. Amid. The L.A. riots in the aftermath of the beating of Rodney King. Um, one of the reasons that Norm and I thought that this would be an interesting movie to talk about is because it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's got this, it's not easy to pin down what the, the moral is. Uh, and that's, that's something that I like in a film. You know, I don't want it to, it doesn't beat you over the head particularly. But um, I guess just really quickly, we should probably start by giving like a broad overview of like the themes and the setting, the background, what, you know, how the film kind of kicks off, like what the, the basic, you know, story is. Um, do you want me to do that? It's a movie about traffic and how <laughs> traffic makes you real mad. <laughs> yeah, that's not actually completely wrong, is it? <laughs> that's only he's well, only half the movie, joking. Yeah, yeah, the movie begins in traffic. And uh, we get a lot of nice visuals of traffic and this guy, Michael Douglas, uh, in his car. And he's pissed at the traffic. He's also pissed because his AC stops working. 
Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the the catalysts for him, like, uh, for, like, what follows, is the AC ah. and his car stops working and he fucking loses his shit. I didn't even notice that. I thought it was just purely the traffic, which is maddening enough. Yeah. But, uh... But we learned that there's other stuff there, too, later. But uh, he gets out of his car and walks out of the traffic and just leaves it there. And this uh, gentleman, Robert Duvall, comes out, who's a police officer, who's the other main character of this movie. And uh, they, like, move the car out of the way, and he sees the license plate says, Defense. Defense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, I don't know, for anyone who's not American, I, I don't think... Do you guys say it like that in sports over there? Defense? No, not really. No, I don't think so. In America, it is one of the most commonly chanted things in any sporting event is defense, defense. When the other team has the ball, right. that's what you're constantly shouting to pump your team up and yell at them and stuff like that. So that's how it was stylized on the license plate. D hyphen fence. So and it's you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so, and so, yeah. And so then he begins this journey walking through the town. Uh, you want to take over? Yeah. I want to, I want to give a little background quickly, right? Because this, the the movie, uh, I mean, it's like one of the first things you see is the traffic and then it comes to him. It zooms in on him and, and the way that the character who, uh, you don't know his name until about like halfway through the movie, it turns out to be Bill, but, um, You don't actually, uh, the first thing you see of him is him sitting in the car, and he's basically, the way he looks is interesting, and I think uh, kind of uh, suggests a lot about the intention of the movie here. He's got a crew cut, like a classic jarhead crew cut, and he's wearing what have become now like kind of trendy glasses, eyeglasses, the the kind of um, the plastic on top, uh, wire rim on the bottom, Ray-Ban style glasses and he's wearing a white collared shirt with short sleeves and a really boring tie and so I think that he's supposed to be hearkening back to like the 1960s and the 1970s this period in American culture when people like him were more useful because as it turns out later in the film you find out that he's actually a defense contractor he's uh, kind of a working schmuck who works building missiles. Um, and yeah, he's, I think he harkens back and that's evident in, um, you know, that he's driving the shitty car. He's obviously like down on his luck in some way, but yeah, like Norm said, he gets out of the car and starts walking, which right off the bat is really weird, right? Cause this is Los Angeles. It's like the most motorized city in the United States by far. No one yeah. walks through Los Angeles. There isn't even like, I'm sure that like most people who are listening to this are aware, but Los Angeles is one of those places that is the way it is because big industry bought their way into politics and voted down any sort of investment in public infrastructure or uh, public transport because they wanted to make it like a city of cars. And so it's just a bunch of motorway connecting like small little satellite suburbs and like bits of the city. There's no real center. It's such like a weird city. Um, and it's very sprawling. And so the idea that someone's going to get out of their fucking car in a traffic jam on the highway and start walking across the city. And what he does is he keeps saying, I'm going to go home. And he walks through what's effectively like the bits of the city where, you know, white collar, white people, you wouldn't expect to find them. 
Am I right? Yeah. Uh, he's clearly walking through the, uh, the, 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 the heart of the area in Los Angeles where a lot of that, uh, racial foment was, was, was peaking at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's typically a place that, you know, the middle-class people just drive right through or around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's walking through it now. Yeah. And it's crazy because he is like the embodiment of like the Cold War America, isn't he? The way he looks. He's got that little pocket protector yeah. and everything. No, I mean, it, he looks like he should be in black and white, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He looks like he looks like a lower level worker on Mad Men, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like not one of the one of the partners or anything like one of the guys who's running around doing everyone's thing yeah. in like j- just a, a white shirt, black tie and a right. crew cut haircut. And so it's never actually, it, they don't actually say he's a veteran or anything at any point, no. but he looks like he does act, thinks like he does and works for a defense contractor. So it's basically an assumption that he's a veteran, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's- but, uh, yeah, and then I, I don't know how much more we should summarize it, but basically he's trying to get home, and there's this, uh, he's clearly estranged from his wife, um, and it's his child's birthday, and that's why he keeps saying he wants to get home and give her something, uh, and he keeps having these encounters with people, and every single one goes very badly. Uh, every single one, the person he's interacting with treats him poorly. Um, and then he reacts very extremely to them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's worth Uh, maybe enumerating some of these first encounters, like the early ones, especially because like the first person he encounters, he kind of gets out of the car, walks over a hill, goes into like a Korean supermarket to go use the phone. Right. And he doesn't have change. So he asked this guy, you know, can I have a, can you break a dollar so I can get some quarters to make a phone call? And dude is like, no, you got to buy something. <laughs> and then he goes to buy a can of Coca-Cola and it's like 85 cents, which like now isn't hilariously not expensive, yeah. but you know, like, but evidently was not only way too much clearly back then, but he's also like, that doesn't even give me the 50 cents I need for the call. For the you know, call. I need. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it becomes like a further sort of lack of courtesy sort of thing, you know, right. Uh, decorum, big decorum energy, uh, which is a theme that we're going to get to in a lot of this. Well, here, let's just say what happens immediately next is that they start arguing about the prices. Right. And he's like makes a comment about the way he pronounces five or like I believe it's five five or something like that and he's like if you're gonna come to this country at least speak english you know yeah uh and uh the korean dude says to him he's like well he says to the korean dude he's like do you have any idea how much money my country has given your country yeah yeah. and the korean dude is like no and he's like neither do i (laughs) but i'm sure it's a lot (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we're, and then he, they get into a physical altercation, and he, and the, uh, before it's before they get into a physical altercation that the Korean guy whips out a bat, right? Yeah, or yeah. do they? That's yeah, how yeah. they get into so the he whips out a, yeah. yeah, that's how they get into it. Uh, again, that's what I. One thing I see is that he doesn't instigate any of these encounters per se. 
uh, other than being physically in the space. Like, uh, he, you know, is trying to, like, supposedly, like, go about his day and just go home, you know? <laughs> All of these things mm. seemingly are happening to him. Uh, but obviously, you know, life happens. It's what happens in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is also it's being still about like how you react. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, it's like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know how much we want to describe or get into it because his reactions are simultaneously, uh, this is what Schumacher does really well, is that simultaneously the reactions are things that you kind of support in a way because they seem to be a sort of righteous, angry reaction to what we're seeing before us and what he's saying. But as soon as you take a step back and think about what he's actually talking about and how the particular things he's saying are triggering the sort of reactions that they're having, you see that actually he's being extremely reactionary and that there's just this base of dissatisfaction that we're aware of and that every time he has an encounter, it triggers some sort of like reactionary thought that he has about something that has fallen apart in society. Uh, and a lot of it is real. A lot of it is perceived. And I feel like a lot of it is him misapplying his anger towards what has changed in society on people specifically like minorities and right. stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that that's like, uh, that's why it's so significant that he's like the living visual embodiment <clears throat> of like Cold War America because he's he's mm -hmm. literally like that yeah. kind of white collar uh you know pre pre oil crisis Bretton Woods era you know the end of the Bretton Woods era like Cold War warrior guy who's encountering all of this these new material realities that just don't they don't lend themselves to him existing, to his existence. The precondition for the existence of men like that was this, like, uh, this world where there was a believed kind of, like, uh, more universal, um, wealth. The prosperity of America was, you know, uh, kind of widely just, uh, accepted as being almost universal and having this, like, world full of people that don't look like him and where things are really expensive is for him... That's, I mean, that's, it's like his, his bourgeois anger is always directed at yeah. people immediately below him. And it's almost like it keeps going lower and lower the further he goes. It's weird because like the next people, one of the things he does is says to the Korean guy, he's like, we're going to roll back prices to 1965. That's what he says. And yeah. he starts smashing the dude's shop up, asking him, how much does this cost? And every price is like way more than it would have been in the sixties. And he smashes the shit out of it. And then he ends up like paying for the Coca-Cola but he says to him, he's like, I'll give you 50 cents for it. You give me 50 cents back so I can make my phone call. You know, he like forces the guy into a situation. He makes him a little well, free no, refuse, you know? That's what, yeah, yeah. no, no, that, that's what he does is initially that's what he asks when he hears that it's a whopping 85 cents. He's like, look, I'll give you a dollar. You give me 50 cents so I can make my phone call. And then after the whole scene happens and he go, he's going around smashing everything when he hears the prices, he asks him how much for the Coke. And the guy says 50 cents. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, makes him an so offer he's can't like, refuse. He, yeah, yeah. He's acquiesced. Yeah. It makes him an offer. He can't refuse. Uh, he's colonialized the store. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is, this is what happens. He's like encountering these real uh, elements of capitalism and inflation and whatnot um, 
all the reasons that the, the that bread doesn't cost as much as it did in 1964. But as reactionaries do, like he's as like is very much part of our modern condition. It's reacting to those conditions by blaming whatever is closest for you to punch down at or whatever is closest for you to blame. And it will be easy. It's easier to punch down than to punch up, you know? And especially if you're walking through South central LA and you're encountering nothing but these minorities that you don't normally encounter that you've just been in your mind kind of blaming everything on. Uh, Because that's, that's one thing we see with him is that he has all these notions. He has a lot of thoughts. He has a lot of criticisms about the different things going on about, you know, immigrants and blacks and people on drugs and crime and like unnecessary construction and like, you know, all sorts of things. And this is to say nothing of the fact that it all started from this, uh, from being fired from his job. Um, which probably had a lot to do with his anger issues that we also know about. Like we yeah. see them pl- played out, but we also directly see them referenced by his wife. So there's like this base reality that is informing everything, both through his anger, which is like, you know, obviously being shown in, in his reactions uh, and is probably the reason for part of his dissatisfaction with his life falling apart with his wife and with his job likely. But then the other element is just capitalism where he's too old. He's too experienced. So he's no longer uh, viable. Like economically, they need to buy, get someone younger to pay for that position. It's just yeah, pure this is, capitalism. This is like really played out later as well. They really develop this, this kind of theme. Cause yeah. like the next thing he does is like, he goes basically the, the, the major escalation in all this is the next thing he does is he goes and sits down with his co- Coca-Cola on like a hill and like a bit of broken concrete and he gets mugged by some essays, you know, and, and they, they kind of like, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but he kind of like, you know, tells him to fuck off. He like beats them up and then they get mad and try to find him again when they've got some guns. And then they do this like drive by while he's on the phone and shoot a bunch of people, but they don't actually shoot him. And he go, and then they get into a car accident and one of them is still alive. He takes the guns out of the car. He's got like a whole gym bag full of guns now, like Uzis and shit. And he shoots one of the dudes in the leg and then, but this kind of identifies him to, uh, to that's like the major escalation. Suddenly he's armed with guns and it's become like a thing that gets the attention of the police. And that's where, um, Prendergast comes in. Robert Duvall's character is called Prendergast and it's his last day as a cop. And, uh, he's, you get the impression that he's a bit of a wet blanket or he's always been like a little bit of a doormat and they all kind of make fun of him or the other cops and stuff. And, um, he, he quickly sees in as the reports roll in that this is a type he's like the the thing that's unique about Prendergast among all these cops is they're all just treating it like uh it's just like another bit of the job they're just doing like everything by rote they're taking statements at the scene of each crime in his wake not putting two and two together seeing that it's like anything to do with the same person but he recognizes it and the reason that he does this is because he recognizes in these behaviors a type and he's able to start predicting where he'll go next. He's got a map of Los Angeles in front of him, and he's kind of drawing the guy's trajectory across Los Angeles, walking through these neighborhoods and everything. And um, 
one of the things they say is that, like, I mean, his, the kind of shtick of, of this character is that, you know, it's a white guy and nobody believes that it's a white guy committing these violent crimes in these, uh, like, minority neighborhoods. And they keep saying things like, it's like they keep saying one of the cops says to him, what would a white guy and a white shirt and tie be doing in gangland? You know, like, that's, uh, that's what Robert Duvall says. You know, he kind of asks the question out loud. And then... It's and the insane thing to one of the in, one of the insane ways that he connects the insanity of this man is that he keeps hearing that he keeps paying for things at these places that he goes to like he paid for the coke and then he like has this encounter in a restaurant we can talk about later and oh, he pays for the yeah, yeah, meal yeah. and stuff and so it's like hearing that like wait a minute this person who's committing crimes is also actually paying for the things in his wake you know like that's one of the things he puts together oh I love it I, that's, I gotta say that's what you should talk about next because that's like one of my favorite bits he goes to like basically the equivalent of like a <laughs> McDonald's and uh, he go he get, arrives at like 11.34 in the morning and they're like oh we stopped serving breakfast at 11.30 and and like he goes, I want to speak to the manager and the manager is all like, sorry, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like using their first names. And he's like, I don't know you people. Why are we calling each other by our first names? Uh, I've known my boss yeah. for seven years and I've, I've never called him by his first name. I still have to call him sir and all this shit. And um, he says like, oh, you know, the customer is always right. And then he pulls out the gun and starts like shooting. Everybody loses their mind, except for, interestingly, like the low paid workers in, who like were serving him in the first instance is like this young blonde girl who's like laughing and chewing gum and is like actually contributing to riling him up a little bit because you can tell <laughs> that I don't, I'm not really like 100% certain what the motivation of having this character behave this way is. But I think that it's like, they're trying to say like, these people don't give a shit. They know it's like the manager who's going to get, who's going to get shot for it if, if anything happens. And so he ends up going yeah. like in the end, he realizes he's like scaring the shit out of all these people in this restaurant. And it's like, again, cause he's got some sort of morality. He's like not trying to do that. So he says, Oh fuck it. I'll just have lunch. Fine. And he orders a burger and then he gets the burger and it's like this squashed, ugly piece of shit. It's just like this thing that looks like someone sat on it. And he's like, can anyone tell me what's wrong with this picture? And then no one says anything. And it's like, you don't know if it's because they're scared or if because they don't give a shit or just because they have nothing to say. But like the girl who's like originally serving him is just like sitting there chewing gum, smiling, like loving this situation. Like it's like a bit of change. You know what I mean? From like the boring routine of this terrible fucking low paid job. And I got to say, I kind of felt that. Yeah. But did you notice that when he says when no one responds to him, like uh, eventually a small child raises his hand? Did you see that? I didn't notice that, no. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to see because you probably didn't see a very good copy either. But like, he, he like points to the picture That's of the awesome. hamburger, yeah. and he's like, "Look at that picture! It's like three inches thick, like blah blah blah." But look at this one you've given me. It's like this floppy little thing. What's wrong with this picture? And no one says anything because he's rhetorical and just holding a machine gun. But uh, eventually, this one child in the back like awesome. slowly raises his hand and just cuts back to Michael Douglas like sighing and then cuts away yeah uh and that child was me yeah yeah and i was that child but children are actually a very weird interesting element to this yeah like, there's those two kids in that scene and then later there's a scene where he's acquired a bazooka oh, that yeah. we can talk about <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you should get ahead of this <laughs> but there's a child in that scene that just should i not mention it we could no you could, you could, i guess we could like skip we could jump around it comes a bit. across yeah, yeah, he comes across and basically he, like, doesn't know how to use this bazooka that he's acquired. And the kid is like, oh, you got to, like, pull the thing out. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, like, bazookas you are, like, pull up the little target thing, like, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and then you got to flap the thing up, like you know, like we we know this, we all know this from movies and, <laughs> and games and stuff. And so it's the child who has to show him and say, like, yeah, I know this from movies. And he says to and him, like, what movie are you making? And he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> under construction. What movie are you making? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think there's something in between the. Uh, there is. There's a really important bit that I want that I want to not. No, no. In, in between the uh, where he the drive by and the and the restaurant wasn't there something yeah there's a really important bit and this is something that uh-huh, I yeah. think actually like is again like quite telling in um uh, he goes through this park he walks through a park and there's like a playground and there's children playing but there's also like mm-hmm. junkies everywhere and there's a guy laying on the ground looking really really sick and he's got a big cardboard sign that says um, I'm dying of AIDS please help. Uh, or he says, we're dying of AIDS, please help. And there's also like a, a beggar, uh, like laying on the street saying like, uh, I'm a vet, I need a job. And then like a guy comes up to him and starts trying to like hustle him for like some money or whatever. And he ends up like telling the guy, get a job or whatever. And tricking him he gives him his briefcase because i don't need it anymore or whatever and the guy thinks it's got something in it and it's just got nothing in it really and he gets mad at him it's his lunch yeah it's his lunch basically but the thing is like the, the thing is about the aids thing this is the only mention of aids in it but i think it's really i when i was watching this film the i think this is a good place to actually put this in right because the 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 background for me like the context that makes it super important for me the two things that i think are really important one of which is the aids crisis like this is all playing out against the backdrop of the aids crisis they're filming in like 91 92 uh not just so it's not just the la riots but the aids crisis and i think that that's probably doubly important because joel schumacher who uh directed the film was himself like a gay man from new york and who's uh like said in multiple interviews before he died uh, a couple of years ago or last year even no it was this year i think he died in like july or something but yeah, yeah. um he 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 talked extensively about having lost so many friends to the aids crisis uh friends and like uh lovers and stuff and acquaintances as many people did in the in the gay community and i think that even though it's the only time they mention it it's that thing about punching down and about like how the the infrastructure of American society is failing people. It's letting people slip through the cracks. And in the beginning of that uh, giant prosperity of the great society, as, as LBJ called it and everything, it was easy to ignore because there were uh, a critical mass of people, I suppose, who were enjoying that prosperity enough and with uh, had easy enough access to it that you could just ignore these small number of people who are falling through the cracks but michael douglas's character defense or bill whatever is now one of those people falling through the cracks and he's getting a taste of what that means and seeing how that works and and i think that aids um is probably one of the best examples and i I think it says a lot about america now as well i mean the thing that they've done now in in the uk where they fast-tracked the testing for the the COVID vaccine. This is exactly what ACT UP and other AIDS groups were asking the government and the FDA in America to do with drugs like AZT with AIDS. Instead, we were were putting money into abstinence education programs. Right, right. And, And Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time, refused to even say the word AIDS on television. You know, he never said it until like the last, until 88, the last year of his presidency. 
Yeah. You know? And so we ignore these problems and the ways to, to actually address them and solve them. Uh, and the people who get pulled into these crises that up until these points ha- weren't necessarily affecting a good bit of their class, uh, they all, the, uh, many of them have these reactions where they blame the people going through it. And it was very much evident. It was more evident than anything else, really, with AIDS, because, you know, we, it was very much seen as a victim's disease. Oh, as yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that you got because of your behavior. Right. It had know? a moral dimension uh, to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was, unfortunately, it wasn't until Arthur Ashe really got AIDS where everyone was like, oh, well, he's not gay. And he got it from a blood transfusion through no fault of his own. And that's that kid, Ryan yeah. White. Did you, I don't know. I mean, we're more or less Oh, yeah. The Ryan White. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan White also, I think, was a blood transfusion. It was. Right? He was it a was hemophiliac. Sort of medical procedure. Yeah. 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 And so he got taken up by Congress. And like one of the first big AIDS things was the Ryan White Act. But yeah, unfortunately, it took these people who were like provably did not get it through AIDS or, or through homosexuality or drug use uh, to finally wake people up that maybe we should do something about this thing. But before that, we were blaming the victim and we were blaming the people who were symptoms of the crisis because they were experiencing it most directly. And it's the same thing we do with crime and poverty, which are these effects of this rampant runaway greed that infuses our society. And it's the same thing that has taken his job away from him. And so instead of putting his anger where it should be, he directs it at all the people that he sees that are the symptoms of the problem that he's been kind of just sitting and fuming about. And the bitter irony is that he's actually, you know, like we said, he's the, the visual and symbolic embodiment of like cold war America, the sixties prosperity, the pre oil crash, you know, boom times guy. And, uh, he worked literally building missiles, you know, fighting communism. That's what his mother says. There's a there's a bit where Prendergast goes and interviews his mother, goes to the house where he lives. Uh, and his mother says, you know, he's protecting America. He's a hero. He's saving us from the communists. And uh, yeah, and uh, uh, the next yeah. thing that happens—that's a big thing—is that he he is like repeatedly mentioned to have played the game, right? You know, right, like right. he did everything, quote unquote, right, and still society turned on him for being too old and for other things for being too crazy. Because because like that's one of the big things. It's not about the game. The game doesn't care about you, right? And also, there's no playing the game per se and like getting everything out of it. Because maybe you're just an asshole and you're going <laughs> to suffer consequences from that. Yeah, you know, and like, and you can't. And if you all you have is indignation about other people, you'll never solve the asshole part, and you'll never actually solve your problems. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's but another yeah, interesting scene, right, where he um he's basically walking past. Uh, a bank that does loans and there's a guy in, in the same shirt as him, like a kind of short sleeve white collar shirt, but he's a black guy and he's holding a sign that says not economically viable. And he's shouting like a kind of crazy, half crazy saying, you know, uh, you know, I bet you're going to be able to get a loan, buddy, blah, blah, blah. And he's saying, Oh, they, they've ruined my life. They've taken, they've taken everything away from me. They, I asked them for a, a small loan. I've worked my whole life. I played the game. And they told me that I am, and he points to his science as not economically viable. And in the end, he's trying to buy a little snow globe 
uh, for his daughter. Cause again, like the whole point is that he's walking uh, quote unquote home to go see his like six year old daughter on her birthday. And he's getting this snow globe for her. Uh, and while he's buying this snow globe, this guy who's yelling about being non-economically viable gets arrested by the cops and they put him in the back of the car and he, they kind of lock eyes at one point and the guy looks at him and says to him, remember me or don't forget me. Yeah. He says, don't forget mm-hmm. me. And, um, yeah, you can see that he's kind of visibly moved and, um, yeah, I, the, the next thing that happens is one of my favorite bits, right? So he goes into this, he goes into this army Navy store and it's actually owned by a Nazi. Okay. And my favorite thing is that the, 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 the army Navy store is called surplus value. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he goes in, but it's a real, uh, real, like (laughs) prepper QAnon sort of, uh, sort of a Nazi guy. So he goes in and the guy's listening to a police scanner yeah, <laughs> behind yeah. the counter, behind the register. Talking about him. And yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. And, and one, one thing we didn't mention, like, I, t- tell me, I went back to the beginning of the movie to make sure I didn't miss anything. But when he's initially sitting in the park, uh, drinking his Coke that he's gotten, he's looking at his shoe has this giant hole in it. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why he goes into the place. And yeah. that's why he goes into the Army-Navy stores to get a pair of shoes. And, like, I didn't I didn't know if I missed something of why there's, like, a golf ball size hole in his shoe or if it's just, like, another factor of, like, he's been, you know, worn down or something right, like right, that. Right, right. Or maybe yeah, it has yeah. something to do with him finally walking in those shoes and on, like, asphalt or something. <laughs> I don't know. But he has this hole in his shoe that he later rectifies by going into this store. And the guy, when he comes over, the guy behind the counter takes off the police kitter and walks over to him and starts... Like, hey, how are you doing in him? But while he's doing it and describing, like, how the different shoes are to him, he's, like, gay bashing and saying oh, a yeah, lot yeah, of, like, two gay guys homophobic shopping. things yeah. because there's two gay guys shopping. Well, there's two guys and one of them was in a, one of them was in, like, a deep, shallow neck tank top <laughs> sort of thing. So I guess, yeah. uh, I would have assumed they're athletes, but they're, I guess then they were gay guys. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume. No, it's fairly safe to assume that they're gay. I mean, like they're signaling through their dress that they're gay guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like saying all this gay bashing stuff, and they're like they start to beef, uh, but eventually he he shoes that they leave, and uh, the one of the cops comes in, uh, Robert Duvall's partner. Right, nothing else of significance happens. Right, Michael Douglas takes some shoes, goes into the dressing room and the guy's still standing out there talking a lot of awful shit and this cop comes in and he goes and the cop is asking they're canvassing the neighborhood uh for this guy and so he's asking questions that are obvious it's like have you seen a guy in a white tie white shirt and tie with a duffel bag and the guy says no and kicks the duffel bag with his foot into the dressing room so that it can hide. Yeah. So like we clear, we understand immediately that this guy is like officially protecting uh, defense and 
uh, he shoes the cop away eventually and locks the door and he's like, I know who you are. I've been following you on the police scanner. Come here. I want to show you some yeah, like cool I'm, stuff. You're like me. I'm like you. We're, we're yeah, the yeah. same, man. Yeah. We're the same. And then he goes and shows him like the Nazi plates from American Beauty and like, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and he's like, and here's something really cool I want you to have. And he takes out the bazooka. No, before like, that, he also, he, he has like an empty tin that had Cyclone B oh, in it. Yeah, and he goes, yeah, they yeah. use like, this, man. Think about it. <laughs> think about how many uh how many like heaps this guy is he says the kikes yeah, 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 yeah. Think about, yeah he says some sort of slur yeah and uh at some point he's like i think it's after he gives him the bazooka and he's like why do you want me to have this he's like because man like i understand you you're just like me man yeah we're the same and he's like we're not the same man yeah like, he says uh, my defense says i'm an american <laughs> you're a sick asshole yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the guy gets all fucking like the Nazi guy gets all mad at him, and he's like, "I'm just disagreeing with you." And my defense says, "Yeah, yeah." And then defense is like, "I'm just disagreeing with you," and the guy's basically like, "No, I want to kill you yeah, for yeah, disagreeing yeah. with me." Because he talks about uh, freedom. And, remember, he says like defense yeah, yeah, is like, you like, know, like, well, this is America. We have freedom of belief and uh, you know freedom of expression. And the guy's like, "Fuck your freedom. Fuck you." Yeah, yeah. You know. And he's like trying to walk away and be like, I'm just disagreeing with you. And the guy pulls out this little, uh, this little like, uh, Luger. Yeah. <laughs> this thing that was like, I mean, seeing so many guns, it was clearly like an old gun. Like he's clearly probably having, has like an authentic yeah. German Luger or yeah, something. Yeah. And they get into a tussle and he, sh- and Michael Douglas takes the gun, or like, uh, ends up like, well, he stands you know, the guy being with the butterfly like imprisoned. Knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, no. He, he ends up being like impr- like held hostage by the guy with the gun at first, and he like makes him spread his legs as though he's like trying to arrest him because he starts to cuff him and starts to talk about how like he's gonna get raped by a bunch of big black guys in jail or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so there's all this fear and imagery, and like that's probably obviously something that has been driven into Michael Douglas's character to be afraid yeah. of too. Yeah. And so he, there's like, you know, it's a very tense scene. And then he whips out the knife that he had taken off the gang members in the initial uh, interaction and stabs the dude and then eventually takes his gun and shoots it. And that, and that is actually the first kill in the movie. That's the first yeah. time he kills someone because the, the, the essays are like, you know, when he's like hanging out of the car all fucked up and the rest of his mates are dead in the car accident, that guy, he like shoots the guy in the leg instead of killing him. And um, and he's like, see, I can aim. Like, you should learn to aim right. because they they missed him and hit a bunch of civilians yeah, when they tried yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But he kills the Nazi. He kills the Nazi and yeah. he's like, and then he just sits down, like dresses up in some of the guy's like gear. He puts on like a like a combat jacket or whatever. And he also doesn't yeah. get a new pair of shoes, oddly. Or if he does, he they're like old shoes because he like walks out. At some point, yeah, and he's got like old shoes on. He's still wearing like old shoes. They make like a point of like zooming in, and it's and then it cuts to uh, Robert Duvall having his exit interview with his manager or his boss, whatever the captain of the police force. And the captain of the police force is one of these dudes who like immediately walks in, and the dude is like punching a, a bag. He's like you know just being like a dude being a bro punching a bag, and you can tell that like he's really like you could tell that like this cop. This captain, like, hates Robert Duvall's guts. He even says to him later, he's like, uh, I don't like you. You know why? He's like, "Real." He's like, you never curse. Real men curse. And he's basically saying that he's, like, developed a reputation for being a pussy. And it's like, and everybody yeah. thinks he's a pussy because he loves his wife, who, incidentally, is played by well, two Well, no, things. no, no. 
People think he's a pussy because he doesn't want to be on the street anymore. Right. But he doesn't want to be on the street anymore because his wife asked him not to. Right, 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 right. So he doesn't tell people that he does it because of his wife. And instead, they right. just think he's purely afraid. Uh, right. But I heard another very interesting analysis that I think I should save until after we finish <laughs> talking. But uh, that, well, no, I'll just mention it that like... Uh, a lot of right wing people, obviously, I'm sure there's just a, there's just a lot of misinterpreting this movie. It's very oh, rampant. Yeah, seeing I'm sure. him as a hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but one that I saw was it was titled "Falling Down versus Feminism," and love it. Love it. Yeah, and, and it was basically talking about how Robert Duvall and uh, Michael Douglas's characters have been despite trying to do everything right by society and their women's standards, their lives are still restricted and destroyed by feminism right. and by succumbing to the wills of these women, which like, uh, like it's one thing to try and say that about Robert Duvall's character, because that is kind of actively part of his conflict. Schumacher's not trying to say it's wrong or anything, but that is what's happening with right. Duvall. But with the other one, it's just like a, it's just like an abusive relationship that the woman tried to end. Like, it's not like feminism gone amok or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> if anything, men, like, defense is basically like having like a an IRL Twitter conversation with the Nazi guy, isn't he? Like, he goes in and it's like this whole thing where he's like, I'm like you, man. It's like, it's the same. It's like they're doing that with him. Like, the, like the, the modern day. Twitter Nazis, alt-right people are like, you know, engaging with him in the same way that the Nazi yeah. is. And it's it's kind of funny to see because you're like... Yeah, and Joel, Ma Joel Schumacher through the grave is like, yep. uh, I think you're missing the ways that you are like him, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that's He's not face the point. in the grave, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, one of the interesting yeah, things is... It, after after he kills the Nazi, he calls his wife again because he keeps periodically calling her and scaring the shit out of her. And she keeps being like, don't come here. I have a restraining order. And the cops keep thinking that she's hysterical. And um, he says to her, he says to her, I'm coming. I'm past the point of no return. And he says to her, do you know what the point of no return is? He says the point of no return is the, uh, the point at which it's longer to go back to the beginning than it is going to the end. And he uses the analogy of uh, astronauts going to the moon. And he says, do you remember the astronauts going to the moon? And they get out of contact when they're around. They get they want to turn back because something's wrong, but they're past the point of no return. So they have to go all the way around the moon. And he says, that's me. I'm like those dead guys in a can on the other side of the moon. And uh, again, like it, it kind of really feeds back into that idea of him as being this like figure from the that period before even. You know, like he's 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 a guy from like the the great heights of American uh, progress yeah. when we were sending rockets into space. And it's interesting to consider the fact that this is six or seven years after the Challenger exploded, you know. Yeah. But also like the space thing is very fascinating for me because, yes, he's talking about like the great achievements and like we think of Apollo 11, Apollo 13 is like this great story of like overcoming and whatnot. But again, it's the whole space race. The background of it was it was just another proxy war of the Cold War. Right, right. So the space race, it's a beautiful thing and advancement and wonder and all that stuff. But it only existed because of this very dark world shaping world destroying sort of violent 
simmering conflict that was happening. And it's very similar to the rest of this whole uh, back-in-the-day comfortable idyllic society that he and others want to go back to. It's like it, it wasn't that that society existed then and it's been ruined by these things that you've ruined it now. It's that uh, if it's changed, first of all, it hasn't changed from the forces that you're blaming, but that's, again, the previous point we were making. But it's more to the point that it's only changed in that its nature was further exposed. And so... Uh, you got to see some of the inner workings of it. Some of the other people who are victims of it got to see more of it. And it will never go back to the state that it was before because that state was just an illusion. Our current state is an illusion. And, like, we'll learn more about it and whatnot. But this is, like, another one of those big fallacies of society today that this movie really touches upon well is this whole Joe Biden thing of there's some sort of normal that we can go back to. Exactly. That will solve exactly. all of the ills of today. All of the problems of today are just these, you know, individual problems we've glommed onto this perfect society of 20 years ago when I just, when these things just hadn't happened yet, you know, and I'll magically go back in time. And, you know, it's like Iraq saying, like, man, we need to go back to the society before we had that war and make all right. those people come back to life. You know, yeah, it's yeah, not going to exactly. happen. It's an illusion. And if you, you know, pursue something that's not real and it keeps not happening, you're just going to get more and more pissed off and you're just going to blame more and more of the other individual actors. There is no back in the day. There is no normal. Right. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of and that's interesting because that's him saying that in a way, if he embodies that normal world then it's like he's past the point of no return. There's no returning. And and like even when you get to the end, if we're like jumping around a little bit, when he's looking at videos of him and his wife and kid when like they were still together and he sees, you know, his like idyll, the fantasy world, that idyll, it's like you, 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 he realizes that he was like fucking angry and hard to get along with even then and that his wife was scared of him and they were unhappy and shit, you know, even then that there, that even, uh, you know, the prelapsarian uh, vision of uh, like, you know, his, his like Eden in some past or whatever is still is bullshit. And it's interesting because yeah. like, so but he, he's reached the point of no return. There's nothing else to do right, than what right, he's right. planning to do. And so it's, so he keeps going, mind. he keeps going basically uh, through different parts of Los Angeles and he gets to this big, another traffic jam or maybe it's I don't know if it's like the source of the first traffic jam but it's like another traffic jam and they're doing all these industrial works on the road and he goes up to uh first of all someone starts yelling out the window like come on you bitch get out of my way blah 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 blah, blah. and he punches the guy in the yeah, face he just walks by <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so great yeah that's great because he's not in the scene you just see the guy yeah 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 and then he's like his fist just comes into the scene and decks him, and then it pans out to see him walking by. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. actually great. There's a lot of really good Joel Schumacher shots in yeah, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and then he goes, and then he goes up to the guy who's like sitting on his ass in a hard hat, being like, just, yeah. and he says to him, he's like, you know, I don't believe that you're doing any work for real. He's like, I was here last week and the road was fine. I think that you guys are just uh, making this work. You're, you're, you're telling the council that we need to do this work to inflate your budget so that you get paid the same this year and next year as you did last year. You got to make it look like yeah. they need you or whatever. And that's when he shoots another the sort of take. Yeah. 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 So it's well, funny. no, no. First, first he's like, he says that and the guy's like, no, what we're doing is very important. Yeah. And the guy's like, what is it? And the guy's basically like, 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what we're doing, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that I thought was very fascinating because that's the reaction you get from a lot of people. It's like someone challenges you and your first reaction is just to blindly defend, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's like you push it further. It's like, well, actually, I don't know what we're talking about. But I'm right, sure it's right. I'm sure we're doing the right thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so he scares the guy off eventually, and then he takes out the bazooka because there's like a hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And initially, and initially, the guy was like, "You can't walk here. There's like holes here. You could fall in." And there's a lot of like falling imagery. This is some of the bad right, stuff right. that Joel Schumacher <laughs> does. There's, he's he's constantly in danger of actually falling, and like. Uh, and uh, there's one scene where, like, the Nazi has him, he's, like, handcuffing him, and he's, like, handcuffs one hand, and he's got him bent give over the, the... Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Yeah, 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 and he's, like, telling him to give him the other hand, and he says, I can't, and he says, why, and he says, I'll fall down. And he says, gravity, uh, and he says, what do you mean, Yeah, gravity, gravity. yeah, yeah, uh, uh, what do you mean? He's, like, I'll fall down, because he's bracing his weight on it, and then he takes it and knocks him down anyway. Uh, that, I think so that that was of- uh, significant as well because he's like saying I, I I don't know maybe this is just me uh, like a fucking like a fucking stupid lit crit person who's like you know got his head up his ass with like academic books or whatever but I took that as like gravity why gravity it's like that like there, there's some sort of like ineffable law that's like yeah. forcing him down you know what I mean like that's yeah. that's kind of how no. I read it I mean it's not it's not very no subtle. that's absolutely how I read it yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's like, he'll fall down the hole. And so eventually he shoes the construction worker off and takes out the bazooka. And he wants to shoot the construction up ahead. But like we said, he can't figure it out. And this child group of kids comes along and this like seven-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is like, oh no, you got to pull the thing back and bring the scope up. Uh, you got to push the button. And he's like, which button? This one? And it just like fires off <laughs> and it goes into the hole. <laughs> and like very cartoonishly goes all the way down the hole, down the tunnel before blowing up. And yeah. not just like exploding in the ground in front of them and killing him and all the children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I wish if only yeah. but uh, yeah it's interesting because yeah, it's before like before that the child says like what movie are you filming yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like what's the movie called and he says under construction yeah I love that yeah yeah <laughs> another interesting thing about this is like if you look at where we've got so far it's like he's taken on basically like uh the whatever like petty bourgeois Korean shopkeeper then he's taken on the essays then he's taken on like the fucking Nazis or whatever like American Nazi right wingers then he's taken on like uh basically the organized bureaucracy. labor you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah yeah you know but then also the government bureaucracy <laughs> right exactly and then the next thing that like, happens uh, is he goes big government big government you know tax and spend <laughs> then he goes to the country club he ends up in like the country club on like a golf course and there's these two old white rich guys and one of them is like having a shit fit going like i want to play my goddamn golf why is this guy on my fucking course get this fucking guy yeah, off yeah. my golf course i just want to play my nine holes what the fuck is this guy doing here you know what i mean like <laughs> and then he's like, well, if he's in the way, like, I'm just going to play. Right. And so he hits the ball, but he aims it right at the dude in this big open field. Uh, and so he, he he goes four and hits the ball and it goes right over his head. And Michael Douglas just looks at him, whips out the shotgun, yeah, yeah. And goes five. <laughs> And he goes, five. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And he's like, why did you just hit 
that ball at me and like blah 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 and the guy like has a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as he's laying there uh, dying, he's like uh he's like, Aren't you ashamed of yourselves? You know, yeah. like all these rich guys, now that you're gonna die wearing that and he's wearing like a Tamashanter. That's my favorite thing. He's yeah. wearing like <laughs> and he's like, Now you're gonna die wearing that stupid little hat. How does it feel? <laughs> There's like a bit of like, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's like a little bit of me, the like working class chip on my shoulder that's like, yeah, yeah, I enjoy, I kind of enjoy that in a horrible way. (laughs) No, 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 that one, absolutely. And like a part of you is, you know, indignant about a lot of the other stuff too. Uh, But like, again, it's a misdirection of, uh, like, am I supposed to not be angry that someone commits a crime against me just because I understand that? You know, like society has pushed them into that position or something, you know? Well, here's, here's an interesting uh, thing, actually. I, it's maybe a good point to talk about this, is that, like, another, like I was saying, against the backdrop of AIDS, giving uh, this film significance, and there's, like, ways that you could read it. Uh, the, another thing that's happening is the discourse around crime in the United States in the early 90s. Because for the they talked constantly about cr- both parties were attacking each other on how tough on crime they were, obviously leading a couple of years later in 94 to Joe Biden's crime bill, <laughs> right? And the discourse around it was always like, there's so much crime, what are we going to do about it? There's these super predators, et cetera, et cetera. When in fact, a lot of crime peaked in the 50s and 60s and was on like a steady yeah. reduction since then. And in the 90s, yeah. it was actually at a historic low because there was, I mean, especially when it came Despite to... Despite the fact that we were ramping up all these different efforts that were more and more uh, authoritarian and, and, and like punitive. Exactly. You know, we had the Rockefeller drug laws. We had the exactly. general war on drugs and whatnot. Uh, and uh, in the 90s, you know, we implemented all these horrible things and then we kind of did away with some of them and saw that the crime trends kept going down. And so it kind of is understood now that we were mistaken in a lot of those uh, efforts that we did in the 90s. And, but e- and even the- despite the, the, rea- like, uh, the reality and the facts and figures, I think that like overall the perception in America was that there was more crime than ever. And it largely came down to television shows like cops and all the different like fake documentaries and all that kind of bullshit. There was a cultural feel. There was like a structure of feeling at the time that there was more crime and that you were not safe. And people were plagued in America by this fear that they were going to be mugged or they were going to be killed or they were going to be attacked or robbed. If someone was going to burgle their house when they were asleep or something, you know what I mean? But it was just like, it was just the confluence of our racial moment, the American racial historical reality and the, you know, the late stage capitalism basically starting to have its toll. And it, it it was expressed through all these sorts of racist analysis. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, But it was very much literally exploding at this moment. There was the LA riots, which stemmed from the Rodney King meeting. Like a lot of people I'm sure might not remember that aspect of it, but look at the world right now and every, all the reactions that we have now from our, our social media and, and cell phones and stuff, being able to can't being able to capture all these police atrocities. Mm. Uh, it used to just be stories that you heard and told, except for this one instance of the police, four police officers beating the living bejesus for several minutes out of this guy, yeah. Rodney King, on video. And 
the outrage was extremely palpable. Uh, and, you know, it was really adding into this very fierce racial moment. And then the police officers were acquitted and the L.A. riots broke out in response. Uh, and the L.A. riots, I even remember as a child being like, having, understanding the sort of liberating nature to people uh, of being able to kind of take control and like to violate the rules that they've been forced to live by. Right, and, right. Uh, but yeah, it's a very powerful moment and I really recommend that people watch uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I doubt you have because most people have it because it's so long. But there's a documentary called OJ Made in America. It's like freaking eight hours long, but it is really good. It is maybe the best documentary I've seen as far as that era of racism in America. Right, right. Uh, uh, but it's like eight hours long, so it's a bit of a commitment. And what but it is really good. interesting, I feel like in in Falling Down, one of the ways that they engage with this thing you're talking about there's like a kind of quick gesture towards it. And I know that the riots hadn't happened. I mean, the riots were happening while they were filming. So obviously the script was written before, but I mean, as you said, it was palpable at the time. And yeah. one of the ways in which they engage with that, that palpable feeling was there's that scene where finally the last of the cops, uh, is, is leaving Bill's wife's house, uh, saying, and she's saying like, please don't go. He's coming. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. And the, this cop says, the only thing that's going to make you feel better is next time there's a ballot to take patrol, patrol cars off oh. the streets, you vote no. Oh, oh! I know, honestly. Oh, it's so how gross, many, isn't it? How many themes of 2020 did that one line encapsulate? Yeah, 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 exactly. The, that was a, that was the, the moment defund right there, the right? police, defund the police, vote. That'll solve all your problems, like oh, and the Joe, smugness of it who, all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I wanted to look at was who wrote this movie. It's, a, it's a guy Schumacher called Ebby, Ebby Rowe Smith, I think. Ebby Rowe. Okay, okay. Ebby Rowe Smith. Ebby Rowe Smith. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But another thing that she says in that scene is that uh, she's like, "Please don't go." Like he's like literally threatening me, and she's like, "Look, he's he he said he was in Pasadena and like." How long does it take to get from there to like Venice or wherever, Ventura, wherever we are? Uh, you know, like that's like 10 minutes away. Like he would have been here by now. He's just he's just fooling. He's you, fucking with you, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's like it's not like even entering their mind that he would be just walking there. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and it's again, because think, like they don't recognize him as a type. And that's the thing yeah. that separates Prendergast from the rest of the police force is that he's like a similar kind of guy in some ways. Like he could see in himself uh, this kind of, uh, you know, like fall, this this breakdown, this psychotic reaction to things because he sees the pressure. He recognizes the pressures that this guy is under. He recognizes the type of guy that this guy is because he's also a, like a an veteran, arc, an, a veteran in the a veteran in the war on feminism. <laughs> <laughs> he sees in himself a kindred spirit in the veteran as a veteran in the war on, yeah, yeah. on, on feminism. <laughs> he's got that uh he's got that he's got that thousand yards in the in in the past stare. <laughs> <laughs> the thousand yard stare into the past. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. The ten decade stare is something, yeah. Six decade yeah. stare. But yeah, yeah I wanna so, I think that the next thing that yeah. happens, right, is that they he ends up like going from the country club, jumping a fence into the the mansion house, and there's like some people having a barbecue, and it turns out to just be the caretaker who's like, Oh, please don't hurt me and my kids, man. I'm I don't and don't tell them that I was here, I don't want to get in trouble. 
Mm-hmm. And then he's uh, sitting there and then he hears the cops looking for him and they kind of hide in like a little grotto or whatever. And he starts like yeah. telling the family who are just like shitting themselves about like how he's and he says about himself that uh, he was fired because he's overeducated and underskilled or maybe the other way around. And he describes himself yeah. as like obsolete and not. And then he brings to mind the guy who got arrested and he says, you know, I'm not economically viable. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. And then he says, like, all but, that he wants. But he was on the other end from the other guy. Right. The other guy was not economically viable because he's black in this corporate society. Right. He's on the bottom of not being economically viable. He, he is on the other end that we get into this this darker end in America where everything is about value in the bottom line. So if you actually are too valuable, uh, if you've been around so long that you know, especially in like a job in the defense industry. So you're working, you have a government job, which means you, you're you in a union. So you have steady pay increases and work and pay protections, which means that at some point they would just rather fire you and, and hire someone that costs less. And that's what happens over and over again. And you really, again, see it in sports. It's not mentioned in this show, but in sports that happens a lot where there's this, trend that happens where the better you are the more you get paid the more experienced you are the better you are the more you get paid and then at some point you may still be quite good but you're just too expensive and they'd rather fill you with two people who are 80 percent of what you are for 20 percent of the money right, and right. we just keep eating everything that we produce we just eat everything we produce eat it eat it eat it and so that's that's kind of, again, the frustration is that he is suffering from the same sort of bottom line ugliness as that other guy, only he's facing it from the other side of it, and he's reacting to it in his own different right, ways. Right, right, yeah. And then and then it gets to sort of the end, well, we're like the beginning of the end, where he gets to the yeah. house and, uh, and like his wife and kids. Well, first, like- one more thing, because this I, I, it's like I was writing the movie as they were saying it, but he says... <laughs> Whose house is this? And he says the worst thing that it could be, which is a plastic surgeon. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The mansion, <laughs> the, the caretaker is like, it's a plastic surgeon. And he's like, a plastic? He's like, plastic yeah. surgery paid for all this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, the most vain thing that there could yeah. be. Venal you know, kind like, of, yeah, 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 yeah. The venality of society is, like, really embodied. Oh, like, his idea of the venality of society is embodied in this, like, disgusting opulence you know, that's yeah. paid for by and sucking like, the fat out of women's asses. <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what to say about a lot of the, the 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 female stuff and, like, the war on feminism or whatever you might want to call it. But, like, there was also that one scene where he's talking to his partner in the beginning. And he's talking about his partner and his wife and the ideas of beauty and beauty changing and stuff, yeah. you know. And they're talking very much like... It's the only thing that matters about a woman, but then also, like, it's not the only thing. But, like, when you don't have that and you don't have, like, a job, you know, like, it's, like, simultaneously interesting commentary and also probably something that needed a better perspective. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so that final raid, final anger at society that, like, uh, not only am I put in this position, but, like, confirmation that other people are not. That other people who don't play the game the way it's supposed to be, when they play it to, you know, do things like become plastic surgeons, 
uh, they get the success from society, not me, who played the game the right way I was supposed to the whole time. Right, 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 yeah. And, and then so also, he gets to his house. When yeah. he gets when he gets to his house, basically, he's like watching. He she she runs out uh, over to the pier because like where the house is is over in like like near Venice Beach or whatever Venice, uh, that part of Los Angeles. And there's like a big pier and a promenade. And to make a long story short, he like ends up running out onto the pier to go like catch up with his wife. Um, and he uh, it's interesting to me that like the, it's like the journey terminates in this location that's very old. Yeah, it's like an old pier. It's made of wood. It's got a little place where you can buy ice cream and popcorn and stuff. And it's like the perfect the embodiment is, of, of the of the dream location. And that is also disappearing because of capitalism. Like, 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, little does he know, little did they know, that now in 2020, it's actually almost all gone. Those sorts of boardwalks oh, and stuff like yeah, that yeah. are... Just, you know, but even then, like the way that the wife actually realizes that he's right there uh, and runs away is that she he calls her to say like, hey, I'm at my our favorite ice cream place. And it's like some chain restaurant, a Mexican chain restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just a symbol of like you know, capitalism, like taking over and changing those old ways and stuff. But like the thing he harps on is that it's a Mexican chain yeah. restaurant. And he's you know? also completely like uh, spellbound now. He's in the idea, like totally invested in the idea that he's come home and that his wife is there. And then like when he finally does catch up to her, he just like kisses her and she's just like going, get the fuck off me. And he's like, why you're my wife. And you know, he's like really like now that he's completed the circle, so to speak, he's really like his brain is just snapped and he's just in it. Yeah. He's like totally in this idea. And then when it comes crashing down, when she's like, you know, we're divorced and he's just like, Oh, do you remember the death to us part bit? You know? And then Robert Duvall yeah. shows up and fucks up his whole illusion like he doesn't kind of let him have the illusion he starts saying to him like you know i had this problem as well and he, he i had the, the this problem of uh of like domestic bliss being upset by tragedy and he describes how um him and his wife had a kid and when the kid was two years old she died and they said that it was sids but he was like how could that be though because you know that that's she's not an infant she was two and uh, and he talks about how it's like fucked up the relationship, but they still managed to muddle through it. And this whole time, you know, uh, Michael Douglas has got the gun. Then his wife helps Robert Duvall get the gun out of his hands and, and then she fucks off. And then it's just the two of them having this showdown. And he says he starts yelling, God bless the working stiffs. And then he starts telling Robert Duvall about how I used to fish right here. And now you can't even swim in this water, let alone fish in it. And uh, yeah. and he's like, you know, it was beautiful. And 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 Robert Duvall's character Prendergast says something interesting. He says, you know, everybody has their own idea of paradise, uh, which I think is, it's it, the the irony in that statement is really quite grim. It's a really grim irony because he's mm-hmm. because like no one really has a very different idea of what paradise is. Even though I mean, they have slight variations on it, but all of it is based in this idea of a mythical attainment based on what they know from the past. They're always trying to catch up with it. I mean, it's like this horrible, bitter nostalgia. But there's these villains of industry 
and expansion that are that is that are killing all of us. They're fighting exactly. all of us, and and we're turning our anger at each other. And one of the few times that the movie kind of makes that conflict explicit, it's right then when Michael Douglas is like, "You understand? Like they lied to me. Like they, you know, I did everything right, and they lied to me." And Robert Duvall is like, "Look, man, they lied to me. They lie to everyone. They lie to the fish." Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. It's like we we pretend like the fish can even live like but we're like they're just going about their day and we're just killing them without them even knowing right. it you know right. like and he says uh, he says doesn't he? he says i did everything they told me to i built missiles protecting america yeah. and then he says like i'm the bad guy how did that yeah, happen yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah are we the baddies <laughs> Imagine if it was instead of instead of um, Michael Douglas, it was David Mitchell in that role. It would be hilarious and going around just being like a little bit flustered and angry. I'm just annoyed. It just wouldn't work yeah, in England, what? would it? He's like, wait a minute, you're Indian. You know how much we've gi- you know how much we've given your country. <laughs> Not as much as they've you're given you in curry, pal. <laughs> wait a minute. You're a Gurkha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, I love that he says... Yeah, but uh, an, another one of... Uh, since, like, we've kind of put a button on the story, I just missed this one point. Because, so Pendergrass, the cop, Robert Duvall's, like, but, like single-handedly piecing this whole thing together and not only eventually figures out who he is by eventually remembering that, oh, this is that guy in that car from the beginning of the movie that I pushed out of the way, defense, and then he figures out who he is from that. Mm. And so they go to his mother's house, who is also crazy, uh, and... She says of what I thought was the funniest line of the whole thing when he when they realize when they tell her that he was actually fired a month ago uh, and she says her like realization of this deceit she says but where where has he been eating lunch all these days <laughs> 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 and so that's that's what makes the the briefcase make sense and he, he was carrying a briefcase and all that was inside it was, was a, a sandwich, sandwich and, and an apple because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all he does every day is go somewhere and eat lunch and contemplate all the ways things that he hates about the yeah, world and yeah stuff. yeah exactly all the ways the world has failed him and then and then yeah. yeah there's the showdown and like they uh they kind of like you know robert duvall's got the gun on him and he says you know i have a gun in my pocket uh and he says uh and he's like, come on, man, you have a choice. And he's like, no, you have two choices. I can kill you or you can kill me or, you know, whatever. And then, and then they, uh, he counts to, like he's, like you said, he counts up to three for some reason and then whips <laughs> out the gun and it's a squirt gun. And he actually squirts Robert Duvall. And as he's like been shot and he's uh, about to fall into the water and die, he goes, I would have got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Like it's a, a, it's a good movie. I uh, and then he falls down. He falls into down the water. into the water. See, this is the part that I wanted to put in there. They were like, Joel, you're, there's no actual falling down. And I'm like, well, just wait till it's the end of the movie. Schumacher. But he didn't talk like that. <laughs> Stop mocking shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, oh yeah, that's. Don't that's be a shoe mocker mocker. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
It's like, what do you mean I didn't put the context of the hole in the shoe? Do we not all have the hole in the shoe? I've been mocked. My family has been mocking shoes for generations. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I think in like some of like closing thoughts on this, I thought that, like you said, it couldn't be more well, apt for uh, all these different things that are that are flaring up again. I mean, you obviously have Black Lives Matter. Um, it, it's it's a similar. I mean, they're not rioters, but uh, you know, there's like the similar energy, this energy from the bottom that's exploding up, and it's largely because these people refuse to fall down the fucking sinkhole. You know, they refuse to just go like water uh, down the plug hole of uh, American capitalism, and. They are. There's no infrastructure for them to actually maintain in the way that things work, and so what happens is they they figure out some way to do it, either by becoming like sort of lumpen, you know, uh, or or by you know actually fighting their way in. But they're gonna they're gonna figure out a way one way or another. And it's interesting. One of the things that I I, I thought was cool, I was reading an interview with. Uh, Ebby Rowe Smith, who wrote the script, and they were asking him, uh, it, it was like a, the 20th anniversary or whatever of it, so it was a few years ago that they wrote it, or 25th or something, I don't know, it was like 2018, and they were asking him if, uh, you know, the, the the interviewer was asking him if they, if they thought that, like, defense was uh, a kind of, like, MAGA guy, and I don't know, like, do you think that, that there's like a, a really clean one-to-one there with the MAGA thing? Because I don't really think that there is. No, I mean, there is. I do. Yeah, I do. But uh, not super clean, but easy to kind of uh, superimpose on it after the fact. Um, because, again, there are these notions of like, first of all, the general idea of Reacting to the same late-stage capitalism that we are, only doing it in this sort of reactionary punching-down way, uh, which is the same thing that the MAGA people are doing, I feel. Uh, and they're doing it at these targets, these these low-situated targets. Um, and there's also elements of the libertarianism, where it's like... Uh, you know, the government's spending too much of my money frivolously. The foreigners are in inflating costs and whatnot. Uh, but then there's also the where's he, where's he been eating his lunch every day thing. The thing where he's just keeping it inside and he's kind of having this private rage every day instead of whatever constructive sort of way of dealing with whatever his reality may be, whether it is dealing with his problems or moving on into the future, he's not doing that. He's sitting in a park somewhere eating a sandwich and plotting his 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 future. And yeah, but go ahead. There's something, a different thing I want to talk about, but you're saying. So yeah, that's why I think like, yes, like it, it is very reminiscent of mega people to me because of those elements yeah i mean like it's the like blaming. the interviewer in this uh in this article here from the rap uh asks him you know it says it seems like trump's message would resonate with him and ebby rose smith says yeah i think it would you know the aggrievedness of it wait a minute what happened to my rights that's a big thing that's coming down now with a white supremacist kind of idea you know my rights are being taken away from me um and given to those yeah. other people of color or whatever that's what that's what uh ebby 
Abby Rose Smith says in this article, in this interview. But the thing is, is that like the reason that I don't think it's a one-to-one is because I think that the people who are these real mega heads, I don't think that they were, I don't know. I mean, maybe they are, maybe you're right. I, I feel like there's a, a different breed though, because it's not just as straight. Cause like, he's kind of like a guy who represents someone uh, uh, like a way of thinking that's older than the actual character. He's yeah, portrayed. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not a one-to-one comparison, if you will, because this is an older, just strictly an older historically character. Like yeah. mega people are of a later generation that didn't even experience, you know, he experienced the sixties. The boom. And right. 50s, exactly. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so he is literally talking about, like he is literally making the mistake of wanting, he's doing more of the Joe Biden thing where he's making right. the mistake of wanting to go back to something that he remembers. Uh, MAGA people are of a generation where they never experienced that bliss. You know, right, they're right, right. just strictly reacting to the promise that was evidently made. That's it. The make America, the whole phraseology of make America great again, it does again, seem to yeah. like, it does seem to like harken back to this past and everything, but it's more about like the emphasis is more on the greatness than it is on the, again, on like the past, yeah, because yeah. like the, the, the mythical greatness that America once had was the greatness of like Ronald Reagan. Uh, that is to say, largely speculative, largely illusory. It was more of an yeah. idea than it was like a real material condition. And I think that... And then on top of it, our economy is a fraction of the functionality that it was then. Right, exactly. Even though, even though production is so much higher. Right. Like, there's no denying that the people of today, the MAGA people of today are living in a completely different reality where they never got to experience even the illusion of that successful shining city on a hill and whatnot. Right, 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 yeah. So absolutely, there's no, but it's still telling that, oh, no, no, this is not something that the MAGA people, but still, the MAGA people also are like, there's the game. There's meant to be rules and a game that if you play it and do your part and work hard, it's meant to work for you. And again, it's not working (laughs) and you and I are blaming the system and trying to fix it, (laughs) but the MAGA people are blaming the symptoms that they see that are being pointed at by the other people, by Donald Trump and other people like that, you know? Uh, and it's the, that, that element of it is, is very similar to me. Mm. Well, let's take us home, Norm. Take us home. What are the, what are the last thoughts then? Well, I mean, we didn't actually mention the the plot conclusion of it, which is that he did have a solution, quote unquote, to all of this, is that at the end of the day, the promise was that he was supposed to be able to work and have this job and family and whatnot. And then it fell apart and he couldn't even he couldn't even pay alimony. You know, he couldn't even pay child support for the kid. He couldn't even support the kid even without the marriage being together. Uh, So he had completely had his agency as a father kind of stripped from him. And so he couldn't, he didn't have his job anymore. And so he had this one solution, which was, if I can't fix anything else, let me at least fix the money aspect of this and let me get someone to kill me so that I so that they can place an insurance claim on me and they'll at least get the insurance money. And that's what this whole plan was, was that 
he, uh, he, he like kept talking about how he wants to give her a gift, but he didn't have a gift. We saw his bag was empty, unless he wanted to give her an apple. You know, he kept trying to buy a gift. He bought that snow globe when he saw that dude protesting, but then the Nazi broke it because it was uh, it was gay, evidently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so, he, like, the gift that he was going to give her was the insurance claim, basically. Uh, and he succeeds in it. You know, he succeeds in this grand strategy, which is obviously not the right way forward. But that was his solution, was to at least address the money aspect, and that was the point of no return. It was like, I tried playing the game, but I've reached the point where I can no longer win by playing the game. So I only have this final move to make, which is to kill myself, essentially. Yeah, yeah, death by cop, gaming the game. (laughs) Yeah, 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 and give this one last gift of this commodity that I've been working so hard to, to bestow, you know? Uh, even if I couldn't make the other elements of life work, like not being an asshole, uh, let me at least make my my playing of the game have one last successful outcome to it. But obviously, that's a dead end. Mm. He still fell down. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I guess that about wraps it up. Yeah. And look forward to the sequel standing up <laughs> about uh the cop getting even older and uh needing help from the wife uh for mobility reasons <laughs> and then lashing out at feminism. Uh Oh, yeah, where are they now? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> standing up. <laughs> no, but speaking of, you know who where are they now we should hear is the daughter because again, like there's a lot of interesting stuff with kids in this movie. Uh, like the the young people that we see in this movie are the gangsters in the beginning, the girl who's like oblivious to this whole like murderous scene going on in the in the uh, in the Whammy in the Burger. fast food restaurant Whammy in Burger, Whammy yeah. Burger, yeah, yeah, and the kid who like nonchalantly. Shows him how to use a bazooka. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the daughter, who's seen who knows what in this uh, angry, abusive relationship, and then what we see her experience at the end is like a hostage situation, a gun, her father holding a gun on her, and then the guy coming and saving her by telling this story in front of her about how her daughter, her his young daughter died, like all this really dark shit, and then his father gets killed and stuff. And she's like, it's her birthday, so they, the cop is like, don't tell her till tomorrow, but like, still, I was just picturing that, like, if that was me, every single time I had a birthday, I would think, like, what's the bad news that's coming or something like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, the, the reminder that, like, we are passing all of these problems on, like, these problems are not getting solved, and we're just bringing new generations to experience the destructive symptoms of our reactions to it. Yep. I mean, I believe that the children are our future. Yes. Teach them well and let them yama say. <laughs> That's our first official inside joke. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, world. What do you think we should call, if we ever got to the stage where loads of people listen to this, what would we call our listeners? We call them, uh... Uh, Spaghetti zombies or something? (laughs) Uh, uh, Macaronis. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we call them 
Sarah Bell Peppers, uh, uh, Marinara Oblongatas. Uh, call them, just call them, how about, just keep it simple, we'll just call them guineas, yeah? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I'm a guinea. Shout out to all the guineas and wops out there. <laughs> Guinea wapdagos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guinea wapdagos out there. Shout out to all the uh, shout out to all the kraut mix on the Patreon. <laughs> well, my kraut mix friend, that about does it for spaghetti for brains. <laughs> you'll oh, you'll never be on my show. <laughs> we do nothing but ethnic slurs on this show, evidently. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but they're right, you know the 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 British left is racist. <laughs> Uh, and of course, you know I'm racist because I was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Yeah, yeah. I mean Bernie, bro. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Don't put any of that. In All right. There. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> <laughs>